Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hey everyone, welcome to Chips, a soccer podcast from Vice Sports. My name, as always, is Aaron Gordon. I'm a staff writer here at Vice, and joining me on the line this week, as usually happens, is Will McGee in London. Will, how are you today? I'm fine, but I'm starting to think with like, the intro to the podcast. When you say, I'm Aaron Gordon from Vice Sports US, then I should just like pipe in and say, and I'm Will McGee from Vice Sports UK, like that, and we should sort of do it like a double act, like finishing each other's sentences. Should we do it again then? No, no, no. It's, no, I was just, I was hoping that could just go in the pod. Oh, I see. So you want like the podcast to begin with you saying how bad my introduction to the podcast is. It's more just a constructive criticism, isn't it? I mean, I'm not... I'm not having a go. All right, I'm noting it. I'm noting it for next week. We'll workshop it, you know. And by workshop it, I mean we'll do it your way next week, and uh, then you'll be happy because that's that's what I want. I want you to be happy. Will. Yeah. Sorry, I just thought this would be a good time to bring it up. I guess I could have brought it up before the. It is up. a good time. No, it is a good time. It definitely, the 20 minutes we sat here in silence before we started recording was a bad time to bring it up so well uh hopefully the listener can enjoy this exchange (laughs) yes speaking of like not bringing things up for a long time i feel like we've done a pretty good job of not talking about the whole vanger in out situation just all the unpleasantness around there because really what like what's to say by now like it's it's been the same conversation for like at least five straight years and it's boring and repetitive and i don't enjoy having the conversation considering that i do self-describe myself as an arsenal fan so none of this is really enjoyable to me but i feel like we can't ignore it any longer because there's kind of like nothing else going on in the premier league like the title is pretty much sewed up there's a little bit of a top four race but honestly the thing keeping it from being really engrossing is that it's just the teams you'd expect uh, and yeah, so I feel like the time has come that we need to kind of address the very odd dynamics of the Wenger out scenario. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I'm writing, uh, I'm writing an article on this later in the week, which I think may serve as part of the premise for what we're talking about. But uh, yeah, no, my article is going to be on uh, the crossover, the weird crossover between uh, the kind of Wenger out movement and uh, Brexit and Brexit voters and just Brexiteering, the whole be- Brexit kind of culture. There's a real overlap there. And that's not just me making that up. There's like, there seems to be quite a clear sort of parallel, almost like the Vengrout movement are just deliberately adopting similar kind of tactics. It's weird. 
Well, I mean, you did. Uh, it, it, it stands to reason, given that one of the slogans they adopted is Wexit. Indeed, yeah. Which, first of all, it makes no sense. I mean, I guess it makes like some sense in that they want Wenger to exit, but it doesn't make sense in that it sounds not like a slogan, but more like a part of some really gross bodily function. It doesn't have the catchiness of Brexit. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. You said you're writing an article and that there's like lots of evidence of this overlap between uh, Wenger out and Brexit cohorts. But I was under the impression, as the ignorant American that I am, that most Londoners did not support Brexit, that they wanted to remain. And obviously, Arsenal is a London club. So what evidence have you found that these groups overlap? Yeah, no, I think that demographically, that, that might be overthinking it a little bit. <laughs> also, <laughs> You and your observations, <laughs> just, just quit overthinking it, man. They call themselves Wexit. Well, what more do you need? Yeah, I mean, basically, that is the original premise. I also like the idea, I think Wexit, it sounds like a, like a 90s detergent, like, you know, like Daz or Febreze or something like that. Daz, Febreze, Wexit. Do you have Daz and Febreze in America? We have Febreze, but I, I don't know if I have Daz. Right. Uh, Tim, have you ever heard of Daz? No. No. I would use Daz. Daz sounds good. Daz is a Daz is a very British phenomenon. All of our Daz adverts have like EastEnders actors in them being like, oh my God, I spoke out on my shirt, like that. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, moving back to Wexit. Uh, firstly, obviously, I mean, it is significant. We should draw attention to the fact that they've deliberately adopted this name. I don't know. I think, in fairness, everything in Britain at the moment is being described with an exit, like, suffix. Like, literally everything is being... Sure, it's your new, it's your gate. Like, after, yeah. after Watergate, everything becomes... Which makes no sense, by the way, because it wasn't, like, something that had to do with water at a gate, and so they ended gate at it. The hotel's name was Watergate. Like, gate is part of the name. You can't just put gate on any... Sorry. Yeah. I got car- a little carried away there. Makes no sense. And that's what you guys are stuck with now. So I'm sorry. Everything is going to be an exit to you guys. Now. Yeah. So, obviously, they've adopted the Wexit name. That's the first thing. The second thing was there was this van. They got a, they, someone hired a van for the weekend that had like, uh, in Venga we trust, but someone had like crossed out the T. So it said rust, which is not very clever in my opinion. But anyway, there was a van which kind of harks back to Nigel Farage had this kind of slightly racist van. Well, I say slightly racist, very <laughs> racist van. Sorry, I don't know why I'm qualifying that. I thought it was more of a bus. I thought it was more no, of a bus. No, no, no. There was the NHS bus, which lied about the money that the NHS would get. The van was like a van about immigrants that was basically just a van that basically was mean to immigrants. Um, it wasn't mean to immigrants. It just said lots of horrible, misleading things about immigrants and had a kind of gross picture on it that really harked back to horrible, horrible propaganda of the 30s. But I'm not necessarily comparing the two things in the severity of how bad they are, but the kind of whole adoption of the bus or the van was a very kind of Brexity tactic, you know, drive something about in a regional town and have a slogan on it was kind of the Brexit mantra. So this was sort of like a kind of throwback to that, but, you know, applicable to North London. Oh, okay. So for anyone who wasn't familiar with the vans, I pulled up a few pictures of it. And one is, it says breaking point in giant text and underneath the EU has failed us all. Yeah. And the the entire side of the van is just a picture of refugees in a line. Yeah, exactly. And it's like very clearly implying that foreigners have broken EU. So yeah, it is kind of... 
is very strange. Anyways, continue, sorry. Yeah, well, no, I mean, a van of almost exactly the same style, if not the same content, was employed to kind of have Wenger Out slogans on. So again, it's kind of a tactical similarity in the way they're going about things. And then today, I think there were protesters at London Colney where Arsenal train. Uh, They were... (laughs) One of them was a guy who, as far as I could tell... It's it's like fucking Tuesday. Don't these people have something to do? Well, that was one of our main thoughts this morning was either these people, like, don't have a job or do have a job, but they've taken a day off sick to protest the London Colney. Either way, you could probably be, you know, using their time better than protesting a London colony. Anyway, there was a guy who uh, was like in full kit and had like a hashtag Wenger out thing. And, you know, there's this whole kind of like, it's almost like a grassroots movement, which again is very much a Brexit kind of tactical strategy. And beyond that, it's just the whole kind of tone in which the Arsenal Wenger is now being discussed has gone very, very Brexit. And it's just, it's semi-hysterical, I would say. And that's, you know, something that I guess could be you know, people on both sides of the Brexit divide would have accused the other side of using hysterical rhetoric in the debate over, you know, whether we should leave the EU or not. And I think that the whole thing has gone very much hysterical over Arsene Wenger in that basically what we're witnessing at the moment seems to be the sad decline of a kind of club legend who basically probably has gone beyond his uh, his powers, really, and, and you know, is, has kind of hung on too long to the job. But that doesn't necessarily constitute a cause or means for like thousands of people to just horribly abuse Arsene Wenger, who is, you know, again, a club legend, lest it need to be reiterated. And that whole thing, it's something about it, as well as just the tactics and the specific kind of uh, parallels. Something about it just reeks of, of Brexit to me. So, yeah, there's a there's a kind of there's a there's a there's kind of cultural and spiritual overlap, I think, between those two movements, although that's not to say that, uh, you know, there's any kind of political overlap between the two. Just just a kind of... It's an overall sense of what the two movements are about. There's Brexit, there's Wenger out, and there's this kind of, I don't know, this kind of pitch of hysteria over the whole issue, which is, yeah, it's quite off-putting, really. So there are a couple of things about this, I don't know, this this Wenger out movement. Like, it, one thing that depresses me about it is that these people running it and, like, hiring planes to fly over stadiums and hiring, you know, vans to drive around or park near the stadium, they don't seem to recognize that although their motive is that Wenger has gotten to the point where the club, they believe the club is a farce and basically they need to oust him to restore the glory of the club, their efforts are satirizing the club to a degree that is far worse than anything Wenger has ever done. And they seem to be totally unaware of this irony, this paradox. And so that's kind of strange. The other thing is, I can't decide whether it's more depressing that fans could enter this whole Wenger out campaign with the same vociferousness that they did for Brexit. Or that Brexit could have the same vociferousness as the Wenger Out campaign. They're both, like, hugely anti-intellectual populist fruits that are just embarrassing to anyone a part of it, and nobody seems to recognize it. And I just, like, don't understand how we've gotten to the point where nobody's, like, thinking through this stuff before before they dedicate so much fucking time to it. I think the thing is that there are lots of... In in terms of Wenger Out... And, you know, the whole kind of anger, popular anger against Arsene Wenger, 
there are lots of reasons for people to be probably quite disaffected and disappointed with the way that you know he's he's kind of managed the club in the last few years, which is fine. You know, that it's fine to express that. It's fine even to be sort of pretty angry about that. I mean, it's football; people tend to get you know quite passionate about these things. But it's just that you know the actual terms of the debate now have shifted so far away from just the normal kind of you know, normal normal kind of protest in football and towards just complete absurdity, complete farce, that it is in some in that sense like quite a parallel to the whole Brexit thing and that that quickly, very quickly just descended into like completely farcical stuff. And uh, the other issue here is I think probably the same with the like Brexit vote, which, you know, had kind of like adherents on both sides who are pretty much in a silent a silent majority. You know, they were kind of massively dissenting people who were like, if we leave the EU, it'll be, you know, the end of the world. And other people on the other side, like, we have to leave the EU or like, you're going to have to, everyone's going to have to live with an immigrant in their front garden or something. I don't know. You know, the kind of bullshit rhetoric that you get with right-wing populists in the modern day. But like, in in the whole kind of Wenger out thing, I think there's a genuinely a silent majority in the middle of people who are probably quite disappointed with Arsene Wenger, but likewise are not going to get involved in a protest that involves holding up A4 sheets of paper at the ground or going to London Colney dressed in full Alexis Sanchez kit and like sitting outside on a, like a footstool with a, you know, a hashtag banner. I mean, that, that is just so unappealing. It's just beyond belief, really. So to be honest, whether or not there's merit in either side of the argument is not really the issue. The issue is more that the people who have started to kind of campaign on this issue and really create this idea of some sort of movement to do with it are just doing it in such a deeply objectionable and sort of, I don't know, just completely alienating way that it's very hard not to feel that it's some sort of symptom of maybe the coming apocalypse or just the fall of our society or the death of the West, I don't know, something like that. We just have, we have such a limited time on this planet. And given the way the last year has unfolded, I'd say we have even less time than we probably realize. And because, like, there's a nuclear war coming or something. I don't know. Who knows? But anyways, the point is, even if you live a long life, it's still fleeting. You're going to wake up one day and realize that it's almost over. And every time I see someone holding a fucking Wexit sign or whatever, I just think, like, at some point in your life, you're going to remember that you spent a non-significant amount of time campaigning to have a manager, an esteemed, beloved manager of a club that you supposedly love, fired. Like, that, that was a cause that you took up. And I don't know how you have that realization and not come to the conclusion that every second you spent doing that was a complete waste of time yeah the other issue with this is is that you know however controversial Arsene Wenger is as a as a kind of figure and however much he divides the fan base which is you know obviously quite a lot Arsenal fans now basically come the end of this wrangle between Wenger and the club and you know the media and whatever come the end of this when Arsene Wenger does eventually leave whether it's now or in two years or in 10 years god knows those people they say they're Arsenal supporters ultimately they need to you know have a club to support at the end of it if your club's largely your fans are we basically admitting that people are so angry with Arsene Wenger or like you know contemplating the fact that people are so angry with Arsene Wenger they're willing to like destroy the fabric of their club and this is on both sides of people who just their rhetoric has gone completely you know completely disproportionate completely out the window and are these people really going to undermine their fan base and their club and something that they purport to love 
because what they they're feeling you know annoyed about a decision the club have made in terms of extending the manager's contract that to me just seems so sort of willfully destructive and a lot of the rhetoric to do with it in my opinion especially in the kind of Wenger out camp has gone you know like it is again it's quite Brexit it's gone towards the sort of you know, you're not a true fan if you don't want Arsenal Wenger to leave. You're a traitor to the club and stuff like this. And it's like, whoa, this is not, you know, we're not rooting out spies here. This isn't like a fifth column. You know, it's not like Thatcher and Scargill. Which, you know, what we're trying to discuss here is whether or not a football manager should stay at a football club. And ultimately, the people who support that football club should find common ground, whatever their different opinions on that matter, and not be kind of denouncing each other to the... I don't know who to, the authorities of Arsenal support. I don't know. It's, it's almost like someone thinks there's some canonical way to support Arsenal, which involves wanting Arsenal Wenger to leave. And if you're not involved in active protest in that, you're, you're somehow not a valid fan or you're letting the club down. And that is, I don't know, that seems a very a, a extremely divisive position, which is probably going to be with the club long after Arsenal Wenger has left one way or another. Do you think this is a reflection of the fact that fans... Generally speaking, now not just like not just Arsenal fans, but certainly applicable to them, that fans feel less connected to and influential within club circles since teams now get their you know their money from so many global sources that you know make match day revenue especially look pitiful in comparison. It's just such a small portion of the overall pie. That do you think this is a way for fans to? It, th- like this is what they feel like they have to do now to have a voice or an influence over the club whereas in the past they might have been able to take other more direct measures if they were unhappy with something possibly i think what's probably more important and more in the forefront of people's minds and again quite fairly is the cost of um a season ticket and how much that you know how much basically people are putting into the club and how little they get out in terms of like support or consultation so really i mean you know the uh, lest it need to be repeated. The season tickets at Arsenal are absolutely extortionate. You know, they are so expensive. The cheapest is £1,000. You know, even if you have a, a relatively decent income as a, you know, as a British person, you know, even if you're out on an income of £40,000, which is a fairly good income, but not a, you know, not massive income, you know, £1,000 a year just to watch your football club is a hell of a huge ask and a hell of an economic burden. And then if you're watching that club underachieve, it's little wonder that people have got to this, you know, that have got to the position where they're extremely disaffected with, with kind of results. But that said, that's not necessarily an excuse for people then basically adopting the rhetoric of the French Revolution to describe Arsene Wenger and his role at the club. I mean, you know, ultimately this is sort of a football matter that will get sorted out amongst board members and, you know, Arsene Wenger himself. And people holding up A4 Wexit signs doesn't, really change that or make any difference to that so the key issue is people feel that they're not getting their money's worth and that they're being hit in the pocket and the club is kind of stagnant and no one really is consulting them or listening to their kind of concerns but nonetheless their concerns are less and less likely to be listened to the more childish and the more divisive their rhetoric is on you know social media or during their fan protests or whatever so in that sense, even though they have a valid position in the first place, they're undermining that position by the way, or a lot of them are, by the way they're behaving. You know, it's just, 
it's not a productive way to behave, basically. So it's interesting what you were saying about the links between this and Brexit, it not really having any ideological connection, because I think there's, like, some evidence that there might actually be some of this groundswelling here about, like, whether English managers get enough kudos in the EPL and, like, whether that's a reflection on Wenger still being allowed to stay, like, thinking there might not be suitable replacements. Because earlier this week, Sean Dyche, who's currently the manager of Burnley, and, like, I feel like there have been, like, kind of just little rumors that he was a possible replacement for Wenger, but never any sourced or having any basis in those stuff. Anyways, some reporter asked him about it, and he basically said that, like, he did, he doesn't think English managers get as much credit as foreign-born managers. It's a very, very Brexity thing to say. His exact quote was, I think it's highly unlikely that English managers are getting massive jobs in the Premier League at the moment. Maybe over time the feeling about football changes. I just don't think English managers have still got the kudos of some of their foreign counterparts. And then he went on this whole, like, I'm not really mad, it's actually just funny to me type of thing. Like, he just went with, like, that's not a big deal, it's just how it is. And, like, obviously it does upset you, and I'm sure it upsets lots of people who view it similarly, who feel like English managers aren't getting a fair enough shake. So, I don't know, Will, what do you think of this, like, of this line of thought that, like, English managers are getting... I'm not sure I'm not sure Deitch would go as far as to say discriminated against, but it sounds like that's what he wants to say. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously quite a long-standing debate in English football. And, uh, you know, it ties into debates over whether English young English players get enough chances, etc., etc. I mean, the reality is that compared to, obviously compared to the 80s, you know, the Premier League as a brand, you know, is very global. And there are, you know, a lot of nationalities competing in, in kind of for a certain number of starting spots amongst 20 teams. So, you know, inevitably, yeah, probably the English top flight in comparison to how it looked in the 80s has a, a lot fewer, um, or, you know, a lot less by way of English representation. That said, there's a strong argument for it inevitably coming down to a meritocracy. Nobody, you know, kind of forces English players out of the picture because they're just arbitrarily English, in my opinion. So, you know, the best English players, you know, the cream should rise to the top kind of idea, or the best English players should be able to cut it in the top flight anyway. I think the same goes for managers and, you know, Sean Dyche has kind of pointed to this idea several times, which, I mean, when you boil it down, is basically saying the foreigners coming over here taking our jobs. I mean, like, that is basically the gist of there are lots of foreign managers and English managers don't get a look in these days. And, I, you know, I personally think much like, you know, the kind of comic version of that, uh, of that sentiment, it's basically nonsense in that, I guess the issue is, what would qualify Sean Dyche on merit to take over from Arsene Wenger? I think, by the way, the, um, the rumour or how that began was that Paul Merson, who is a not particularly well thought of pundit on these shores, said that he thought Sean Dyche would be a, you know, a kind of good pick. Again, practically on the condition that he was arbitrarily, he is an English manager. But I mean, when we actually consider the merit of English managers at the moment compared to someone like Arsene Wenger or someone like Pep Guardiola, are, is there anyone who's kind of who, who who could match those guys in terms of their uh, their kind of managerial chops or their managerial skill? I mean, the basic answer is no. I mean, it's very difficult to see where the English managers are who are, sh- should should be taking these positions. Deitch listed off his, like, list of good English managers. Oh, sorry, really good English managers is what he said. And here's was his list. Tony Pulis, Alan Pardew, Sam Allardyce, 
Anyhow. That's yeah, it. it should be said that Tony Pulis is actually Welsh, as far as I know. Um, so if, if Sean Dyche said that, that is actually... Uh, I think Tony Pulis is from Newport, so he's, he's wrong there. But it, exactly, it's, it's, not, it's not an inspiring list. And, and barring perhaps Eddie Howe, who's obviously done a fantastic job at Bournemouth and, you know, yeah, is, is, is clearly a very good manager. Actually, are any of those managers, you know, should any of those managers be getting a top six job or something like that? I mean... No, certainly not arbitrarily because they happen to be English and this is the English, you know, Premier League. It's not, it doesn't work that way. So I suppose what, what I would kind of counter as a position to him is, you know, where is the, where is the English Pep Guardiola? Where is the English Arsene Wenger? Where is even the English like Marcelo Bielsa or someone who is often heralded as just like a pioneering coach? I can't see an English manager who tactically and, you know, strategically... Is, is up to standard in terms of, you know, the current, the current cream of the crop of the best managers in Europe and also just people who, even if they don't get the best results, are considered to be pioneering by their contemporaries and by their peers. I cannot pick out an English manager for you who is, is up there with those guys. That's not to say that England can't produce the best managers in the world. Of course it can. It, you know, the whole point is that success in management is not some arbitrary criteria based on nationality but at the moment does England have managers who should you know or is England producing managers who should be in the top six of the Premier League well barring perhaps the tenuous exception of Eddie Howe no I mean no I don't see where anyone is getting the the idea or the you know on based on meritocracy purely meritocracy that that England has managers who should be at that, you know, at that kind of top level of the Premier League. One thing that would perhaps change that is if more English managers went abroad, went to other countries, cut their chops in, you know, or cut their teeth in um, other parts of the world, and then actually we might have more of a kind of, a, I don't know, more of a more of a rounded football culture in this country. But ultimately, the way it works at the moment is that English managers get jobs in the lower leagues you know, Championship, League One, League Two, those jobs are incredibly pressurised, much like ones in the Premier League. Guys get sacked very quickly, you know, so they don't, they don't really get much of a run at, at becoming a great manager. That's a fair, you know, kind of a fair criticism, I think. But actually, you know, these guys, there are other football cultures you can go and experience, and by and large, English managers won't do it. And, you know, at the moment, has England got the managers... You know, has England produced the managers who should go and be in the top six in the Premier League? I think if you know Sean Dyche's list is, is damns itself, really. I mean, no, clearly not. Right, and it's like this is this is kind of what I feel like we not we not you and me specifically, but just kind of soccer commentators in general, analysts have have been talking for some time about how uh, in, the development, whether it's of coaching talent or even player talent in England suffers from being so insular. Uh, It's very rare that players even go abroad to get a few years on loan before coming back. I feel like it's happening more in the last couple of years, but before then, I guess. Uh, Certainly managers seem to rarely go abroad to get more, at least until they've failed at the highest level. I mean, like, I think Moy is going to... Uh, Real Sociedad, and he didn't do well there either. So, I don't know. There's a lot of... With English managers in England, I feel like there's a lot of falling up. Like, they do not a great job at a certain club, but because they're English, they get a pretty cushy job or a a, a high-profile job after that. 
Well, I mean, there's certainly an argument to say that English managers are actually, in some ways, have it in their favour. Because you look at someone like Alan Pardew, who has, you know, done okay jobs at some, you know, in, in some of his jobs, and then also done some pretty appalling jobs other places. He pretty much seems to keep falling into new jobs and new positions. If not, I mean, he probably won't get a Premier League job after his, you know, Crystal Palace spell. But he'll probably get a job in the Championship next up if he'd like to. So, you know, there's an argument to say that actually, in some ways. English managers can afford to, you know, repeatedly not do that well and still get positions. I mean, you know, I'm not sure that, like, I, I don't know if you remember Pepe Mel, who came from West Brom. Uh, no, sorry, who came to West Brom. He's a Spanish coach. He came about two or three years ago. I'm not sure that Pepe Mel will ever get another job in England, you know, and he didn't do the worst job in the world. West Brom weren't relegated. But, uh, you know, he, you know, he was basically considered a, a foreign import and a failure. You know, English managers, in some ways, get an easier ride than that. Absolutely. I mean, let me put it this way. If Alan Pardew was manager of Southampton this year, and they had the exact same results, like just cruising in 10th place, really performing better than that, like really, be, you know, like they could, you can make an argument they're the eighth best team in the EPL this year. Um, based on various things. But anyways, if, if, if they were in 10th, how many articles do you think you'd be reading right now about how Alan Pardew deserves a better job or, you know, it should be rumored for the Arsenal gig or something like that if he was leading a 10th place Southampton team? I bet you'd be seeing it everywhere. Um, but the fact of the matter is Southampton is managed by uh, by Claude Puel, I think. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Is it Puel? Yeah. Anyways, they're managed by a Frenchman. So uh, you haven't seen shit about Claude Puel being, you know, rumored for the Arsenal job. Well, exactly. It's a, it's, it's kind of a fair point to make. In fact, I don't think there's ever been a coach who's been less heralded for doing quite a good job than Claude Puel, who seems to have been pretty much entirely ignored by the English media. You're right. That would never happen to an English coach in a comparative position. I, I mean, another thing I would say in terms of what, going back to... to coaches going abroad there's almost no football culture that is the same as England in that there's no football culture where people just stay within the league of their of their nationality or their native league or whatever so when you say say we look at some of the best managers in the world you know I'm, let's arbitrarily pick out Pep Guardiola Carlo Ancelotti and Jose Mourinho you know if Jose Mourinho had just managed in Portugal for his whole career and Carlo Ancelotti had just stayed in Italy and uh, Guardiola had just stayed in Spain, would they be the coaches that they are currently? And would they have the same, you know, cachet and the same respect and kudos? I don't think they would. No, that, you know, obviously they would, they would be in some ways far more limited than they are having, you know, traveled the Bundesliga and La Liga and, you know, Syria and the Premier League, you know, so only in England could someone say, oh, I deserve a better job, but actually only ever have managed on these shores and in this country and only ever experienced this football culture. I mean, basically, like with many things, actually, in Britain more generally, we need to kind of look beyond our borders once again and think that, you know, there's a lot we can learn culturally from, like, other, you know, other footballing nations and a lot we can learn tactically and strategically and, you know, potentially even, you know, in terms of sports science and stuff like that. There's, there's very much an issue here, I think, probably in the Premier League, probably in English management and also actually just culturally more generally, where we do assume that we are, you know, at the very pinnacle of understanding when actually there's a lot of other stuff that could inform, you know, what we do much better than how we're currently doing it. That certainly applies to football management and certainly to English managers. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like one. So, just you know, as you were talking, I thought to myself, uh, maybe Luis Enrique is a is an exception because I hadn't really heard of him. But but like that was stupid because Luis Enrique coached Barcelona B for a couple of years. Then he went to Roma and uh, Celta. So he's also left. I mean, uh, Celta is obviously in La Liga too. But I mean, at least going to Roma yeah, sure. was a season out. So like, it, and for a relatively short career, I think that's important. And so. You get a lot of examples like this, whereas I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna look up Sean Dyche's managerial career now, just to see like what his managerial path has been and if he's ever coached abroad. Well, he hasn't. So he's played for only English clubs: Nottingham Forest, Chesterfield, Bristol City, Millwall, Watford, Northampton Town. That was his playing experience. And his teams managed was he got the Watford job in 2011, and then he got the Burnley job in 2012. So the dude's never left. The the uh, basically the football association. It, yeah, I mean, it should be said. Sean Dyche obviously brought this up, so he's the target of our kind of ire, I guess, at the moment. You know, Sean Dyche has done very, very well with Burnley so far. You know, in his time at Burnley, he was he he did well at Watford as well. I think he was widely considered to have been rather unfairly, you know, got rid of there. It's not to say that Sean Dyche is a bad manager, but when you compare Sean Dyche's experience to the experience of even someone like Arsene Wenger before he arrived in the Premier League, who had managed in France, won a league title in France, gone and managed in Japan and experienced a completely different culture, you know, they're just, they are not comparable. It's not, not only are they not comparable, the whole thing just seems even absurd to try and compare them because yes, Sean Dyche has done a good job within the confines of the clubs he's been at, but, you know, does he have... Is he going to bring something new and exciting to the table tactically if he, if he were to become Arsenal manager? Let's just, you know, give it credence for a second. I mean, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I see no evidence of that. And so, you know, on merit, and just purely on merit, not on arbitrary, you know, national... You know, not your arbitrary, your place of birth or your national, you know, kind of, I don't know, credentials or whatever... Should he get that job? No, it, it seems very simple, you know. And, and and actually, you know, we've seen with Sam Allardyce, who got the England job, which was practically his dream job, you know, that actually after you know the, it, it all kind of went horribly wrong after only a game. And you think, you know, is that necessarily a good advert for these guys getting the biggest jobs in world football? You know, Sam Allardyce famously said that if he was called Sam Allardyce, he'd be managing I forget who it was, but you know, he, he basically implied that. Were he Italian, he'd be managing Real Madrid or, you know, Inter Milan or AC Milan or whatever. And the fact is, that's just not true. Were he called Sam Aladici, he'd probably be a, a reliable mid-table Serie A manager. It's just, you know, it, it, it's I mean, nonsense. L- let me just put it... I, this, this, I think this is part and parcel with the, like, attitude behind Brexit, to be perfectly honest. Like, no, it's not exactly the same. I'm not drawing, like, direct parallels. But it's this mentality that somehow if... English people are not succeeding at the highest echelons and not being, uh, you know, being at the top in their own country, then somehow something has gone horribly wrong. That something is a Yeah, well, I think something that is what it is. That's fixed. precisely what it is. Yeah, there's, not there's the a, case. there is a certain um, there's a certain nativism to it, which yeah is is potentially Absolutely, quite yeah. off-putting. Yeah, I mean, the implicit argument that Deutsch was making was that it's a bad thing that 
Englishman or not. You know, he tried to pass it off as just like it is what it is. But that's what you say when you don't want to come out directly and say that something is bad, but you think it's bad. Why is it bad that the EPL is does not have a ton of successful English managers at the top of the league? Why is it bad that instead they have an Italian, an Argentine, a German, uh, a Spaniard, uh, a, a, a Portuguese, 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 how, what is that, Will? When, yeah, no, it, por- Portuguese, Portuguese is correct. Yeah, yes. Portuguese. And a Frenchman and a Dutchman. And I mean, like, you just go down the table and it's like, it's incredibly diverse. That seems good. Why is that bad? I suppose in some ways, maybe what part of the issue people see is they see, you know, German and French and Dutch and blah, 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 managers succeeding in England. And then they look abroad and go, well, where are our success stories? You know, and where are our, you know, successful English managers? But for there to be English success stories, not only in England, but also on a continental level and abroad, English managers have to go manage abroad. And it so rarely happens. I mean, it, honestly, it is incredibly rare that you get an English manager at the peak of his game go, you know what, I'm going to go and have a punt on you know, a strong club in, you know, one of the main leagues in Europe. It just, it just very rarely happens. In fact, it probably hasn't really happened to a, to a kind of obvious extent since, you know, like Bobby Robson and, you know, you know, when Barcelona had a few kind of English managers in, uh, in, in the eighties and nineties. And like, you know, since then people have just been increasingly unadventurous and, and, and maybe that's the problem and not just some arbitrary, yeah, some arbitrary kind of issue of nationality. But I can understand that people might be disappointed that English managers aren't doing better. But I suppose the issue is that to do better, we have to look beyond the Premier League and look beyond England and actually, you know, attempt to do better by knowing more and being, you know, more diverse and more adaptable and going more places, finding out more things, coming and then potentially maybe coming back and using those things to the, the benefit of the Premier League and the benefit of English football, actually. Let's get right down to the brass tacks. This week's manager fight, I think, is incredibly obvious. It should be Sean Dyche against Claude Puel. I think that's, you know, based on what we've been talking yeah. about, that's the obvious fight that needs to happen. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we have a habit of doing manager fights that just undermine everything that we had just talked about. And I feel like that's the case here because I feel like Sean Dyche would just beat the crap out of Claude Puel. Yeah, but I actually, I agree with you. Um, but I think that that kind of, in some ways, exemplifies our point. In that, were these two men to get in a fight, I very much feel that theoretically it would not be Claude Puel who would be um, instigating that fight. It would be more of a, you know, Sean dies, she's got a bit frustrated, he's at, you know, the managerial awards at the end of the year. There's Claude Puel getting, you know, some sort of nice handshake of Arsene Wenger and he just loses his rag and goes for him. Uh, <laughs> and in that sense, again, I think it comes nicely back to the kind of the whole Brexit attitude that we've kind of taken on in English football and England more generally, uh, and not just England actually, but Britain more generally, which, uh, yeah, is basically that, um, you know, we're sick of these suave continentals who keep doing a really good job at things in our country, and we just like to bash them on the head, basically. <laughs> I don't even want to say anything else. I want to leave it right there. Uh, <laughs> all right, so let's do it. Will, do you have anything left for the people before we end it this week i'm doing a piece on obscure club badges in england and what they mean so look out for that and probably a piece on how the uh 
Wenger out movement and the Brexit movement overlap. So yeah, look out for those later in the week. Cool. And we're all, I think I contributed to a piece that you also contributed to that's going to be about our worst experiences at a, at a soccer game. Right? Yes. Yeah. So we look forward to that as well because, uh, yeah. Yeah. You can good. read Aaron Gordon and Will McGee on the same piece of content. Wow. Just like you can listen to us on the same podcast. Oh. How about that, people? All right. Uh, thank you all for listening. Remember, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Chips Podcast. And you can email us, chips at viceports.com. And send us questions, comments, concerns, anything else you want to say. If you just want to say hi, I will say hi back. I promise. Uh, yeah, just just uh, give us a shout. We love to hear from you. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of your week. Goodbye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 